0: Hey tabletop players, it's Ruin here. You're listening to a special preview of our 6083 Cold Brew with Jason Oberman. You might remember this as the sci-fi TTRPG that we looked at a couple of weeks ago after Jason sent it to us. In this episode, we talked to Jason about what makes it special and why you should consider it, especially since it's free. However, this is also a part of our Patreon content. So if you wanna hear more about Jason's story and how he came to develop his own TTRPG, Head on over to Patreon, throw us a couple bucks, and you can listen to the whole Origins story. Otherwise, enjoy what we have to offer in our free preview.
1: Okay, so the, the player's manual... Um, and this was also an evolution, uh, an evolution of the, of the manuals. Um, it's kind of the, the manuals exist in three parts the way they do, because that is how they evolved with our play groups. That's what became like the, the most useful configuration of the game. So you have the, uh, the player's manual, the player's manual covers character creation. It covers that introduction, you know, it, it grounds people in the world. Um, it allows them to buy skills. All the skills are in the, the player's manual. The elite professions are in the player's manual. There's like a, a basic synopsis of how to play the game as a player, you know, what you can expect um, and how to, you know, rank up and how to progress in the game. So what that manual is for is is just for the players so that they can, you know, progress their characters essentially. And so they can look at skills and say, all right, well, this is what I'm, moving towards or i want to have this profession this is what i'm moving towards so uh it's all character specific stuff um what is in the gm's manual is the guts of the game that's all all the game mechanics so whereas the player's manual will tell you like hey in order to if you want to you know do combat you're going to have to roll 3d6 and uh, um you know you compare your hit rank against your opponents hit rank, and you add or subtract the difference, and that's your target number. Um, So all those mechanics, the basic mechanics are there. But the GM's manual talks very specifically about how to run the game with lots of examples um, on how to do that. So it covers things like um, skill checks and ability checks, how to run combat how time progresses in combat, space combat, um, how to use equipment, how everything interacts with each other in the, the, the mechanics of the system. And so it's all the mechanical stuff. And there's, with examples, I think that is about 60 pages. The rest of that book is lore. So there's a codex, uh, which has a lot of explanations of what things are in the world, or the GM specifically. And there's some spoiler, spoilery stuff too, which is why it's not in the player's manual. Um, And then also there's a whole Stellar Codex, which is kind of like a, kind of like a sandbox for the GM because the universe is huge, but it gives you points to kind of jump off from and say, well, if I wanted to go to, you know, this kind of culture, I could start over here, you know, at this planet, and I could make. There's some plot hooks over here, and then there's also how to uh, how to adjudicate a mission and how to create your own factions as well as uh, you know the main factions in in the the universe that the players would be running into so it's not exactly a monster manual, but there are components of that in there as well so there's a lot there, but it's primarily for running the game um and it's mostly GM specific now a player can get in there and look at the lore and get a lot out of it if they want to but it's mainly for the GM to help them kind of, uh, understand how everything's running. So. And, you know, that's
0: really what like we here at Kentrips and coffee. We like to see when we see like a, a true players versus GM's manual, because okay. when we get to the point where one of the systems that we reviewed in our first season was a massive system, like almost, we, we almost said it was overwritten, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, they had what they called the abridged player's guide, and it really was just an abridged version of the main book. Like it stripped out the the kind of GM specific things, but otherwise it was identical. It The, the exact yeah. same chapters written in the exact same way and things like this. This really sounds like you're trying to branch it out. So it is a very specific manual meant for your GM.
1: Yeah, it is. So, like, how it works is that when you're in a game session, the GM has the the GM has the manual, their manual. The players have theirs. Um, now, there are some things that are not duplicated. Well, most of it is not duplicated. Most it's, it's all unique information. But when the players level up, or if they're doing skill checks, like the skill checks and thing, the uh, special skills for players, that's only in the players' manual. So a GM might need to to see that. But my experience is is that when a player Buys a skill, they're like, okay, well, I'm going to buy piloting, you know, two. You know, they understand, they've written that down and on their sheet already. And even if the GM doesn't, you know, doesn't go look in the book, the GM can say, hey, you got piloting two, right? What's that give you? And the player can say, well, that gives me plus ten to my piloting ability check. I was like, all right, cool. Um, So really, that player's manual is going to be in the player's hands, like the majority of the time. And the GM's manual is going to be in the the GM's hands. And there's really not any need for sharing of the manuals, which is really important. It kind of helps streamline things, because then people aren't throwing manuals back and forth. So, um, And and each one of these manuals also has all of the quick reference tables in the back of the book. So if the players need it, GM needs it, nobody has to worry about sharing that either. Um, The alliance market is a little different. Alliance Market is essentially the catalog for all the gear in the game, and that's the biggest bucket in in the in the set. And my experience with that is that that manual gets used most of out of anything. Now, when a GM is planning their session or whatever, they might pull equipment out of there. But generally speaking, that's where the players, you know that's what they're looking at most of the time because there's a lot of stuff in there. There's a lot of illustrations and they're like figuring out what they want next, or they're figuring out, you know, how their gear works and so on and so forth. So that's like, that is like the most used uh, book in the the set. And then, yeah, I know players like shopping for gear. And (laughs) that's something I learned early on is like, as soon as they got their hands on even a rudimentary equipment manual, they were in it. And it didn't matter like how it looked, you know, but they wanted to buy that gear. So that's why there's a third book. So...
0: And then you have a, a hundred shopkeepers named Bob who you made up on the fly just to sell them that gear, but at least they know how much it's going to cost them.
1: Well, the way it works in here is um, is that there's the Alliance Market, which is more... There's a representative, there at headquarters, and there's representatives at bases that, you know, around the, the Galaxy... But essentially, they can log into their, you know, they can log into their comp set and, you know, after mission and they can just order the gear. So, um, so it's kind of streamlined in in that regards. Now, there are times like out on mission where there might be a shopkeep that's part of the adventure and they might sell some unique or interesting gear. But most of the time, you know, they're ordering stuff like directly from the market. So, you know, like Amazon, but in space. <laughs>
0: nice um question that just came to my head so this thing um the alliance market, 6083 all of it made Mm -hmm. beginning in the 80s obviously we're oh gosh 40 well 30 some years later right um Mm -hmm. how has the alliance market changed in that time as technologies progressed
1: Wow. So that is hilarious because back in 83 there was stuff in the there is a stu- there were there were items in the market that are just ridiculous. So like um for instance a um a palm computer was one of the items and it was a the description in the book, you know, uh, was a computing device that you can use to do complex computations and it fits in your hands. <laughs> and it was like but it was in actuality it was like you know it was like eight by ten so it was more like a um a really thick you know ipad or something like that um and and there's a lot of technology that just kind of like we've surpassed the level of technology that that was in the book like a lot of the especially a lot of the commonplace stuff like video cameras and things like that so there are some things that they're in those original manuals as equipment items that are just hilarious because they're just grossly outdated
0: so (laughs) it's uh you know when we um when we looked at cyberpunk red um we kind of compared a bit of it to cyberpunk 2020 just in a a very general sense and we were kind of laughing i I don't know if we recorded this bit but we were laughing because the technology between releases of cyberpunk would just change ever because it's like they were only ever predicting you know 50 years in the future at best at times and so technology is 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 changing so rapidly like you said that their idea of 50 years it was like, well, no, we reached that in 10 or uh, no, yeah. we're still not there yet. Like it was this weird anachronistic timeline, uh, but you're dealing with obviously thousands of years in the future. Uh, so it's kind of crazy to see that uh, just how f- quickly we've progressed compared to thousands of years when you were predicting.
1: Yeah. You know, and it's funny because the the name of the game, because it was originally called 6,080 um, and then I changed it because I found out that uh game GDW had a game called 3000 AD. And I was like, well, I don't want to get in trouble with them. Even though at the time like, I was like, there's no way I'm going to publish it, but I still want it to be its own thing. Um, but I was like, but in my mind, I was like, if I said this 6,000 years in the future, then there's no way that we can overrun it, you know, in the time that I'm alive, you know? So, um, so yeah, so that that's why it's 6,000 years out. So, or not six thousand, four thousand 4,000
0: years out, but yeah. Fantastic. What is, what is probably the one major change that you've seen since that time? Like what is the biggest iteration you've made on 6083?
1: So the biggest iterative change has been the inclusion of other dice. And the system, because I, uh, since I've started this process of, you know, Bringing it to the public, I've done a lot of research on other games, um, so it's then it's staggering. So it's not a class-based game; uh, it is a skill-based game, but it has it's kind of a hybrid because you still have um, levels or ranks, and use and that brings you know brings your stats up, but you're still buying skills. So there's several currencies involved when you level up, but. But the biggest change, um, the biggest change that, that I've seen is is the inclusion of different dice. And when I went to Germany, I was able to finally get a hold of a set of polyhedral dice. And I had tried all kinds of different ways to do uh percentile checks in the game with three using 3d6 or 2d6, and I wasn't happy with any of it. It was all really convoluted and required required extra tables and i had friends that were like just use 2d10 and i was like no i have to make it work like this because i'm terribly stubborn and so finally i got a hold of a polyhedral set and i got some percentile dice and i was just like you know what i'm gonna do it it's gonna be I'm, i'm gonna have different dice in the game and that was the biggest shift that the game had because then I added all kinds of dice uh, for like damage and it still runs on 3d6 for combat, but all the skill checks shifted over to 2d10. And that was a huge change and it made the system so much better and it made it uh, flow so much smoother. So um, yeah, that was the the biggest change for the system. Like no question.
0: And, And that was, you know, one of the things that we commented on, I believe in our preview too is um you you know we weren't really sure where the different dice were coming from but like you know speaking to you since and speaking to you now like i kind of just like that reasoning of like different dice because it kind of just makes sense like why would you why would you be rolling the same dice for everything why can't combat be a different type of die from your skill checks they're inherently different uh area areas of humanity really
1: Well, and what I found too is that when we did that, it added a different facet to the game because when people, because you know how people get superstitious about their dice. And um, so players have these combat dice. So they have their 3D sticks that are their combat dice, and then they have their skill check dice. And so it kind of, when the combat dice come come out, it's sort of, it's um, it's a visual indicator that you're entering a different phase of the game. And it, it adds a little bit of drama and tension because if the GM pulls out 3d6, then the players are like, Oh no, we're going into combat. Now, now it's happening, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, But uh, I wanted to kind of uh, caveat on something that you said, because when you guys were um going through the character attributes, like the abilities, they're like, uh, one of the questions was is how come they weren't all just one d6? Mm. How come they weren't the same? And I never thought about that, but it was just an evolution over time. And uh, the reason why some of them are 2d6 or the reason why they're red in certain ways is because they needed to represent different ranges mechanically. That I've always striven to kind of like keep as much math out of the game as possible. And rather than try and make a convoluted way to make a 1d6 sort of fit the situation, There's a lot of times it was easier, especially when I'm dealing with units of time to integrate, you know, 2D6 or in the case of uh, physical fitness, 3D6. um, It was just something that kind of grew organically over time. And I never, ever thought about it. Not until (laughs) you guys made the comment. I was like, and I had to think about it for like two days. I was like, why is that? why did that happen and then i was like oh yeah that's why it just so.
0: kind of kind of appeared naturally yeah and yep. and i think to us um if i think if we had done the full playthrough and we could have seen those in action it might it, maybe it would have made more um more more sense like it might have been just like oh okay i get it right rather than like uh you know you're creating the character and you're going through and you're like i I'm not quite sure why this is, but honestly, that happens with any other game. The only reason we happen to pick up yeah. on in this one is because it's a little different, right? Like it was yeah. all of a sudden like, hey, it's three di- three dice sequentially. And so it's like, oh, okay. Um yeah, no, that, uh, that's 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 uh, really interesting to hear that. Uh, I uh, here I was gonna say thinking you were gonna have some sort of convoluted answer of like, oh, no. well, you know, in physics it's uh, uh, no. <laughs> so kinda, I kind of mm-hmm. think that's uh, honestly one of the comments we had about the system is that it has so much charm right out of it. And I think that adds to it is like, well, why? Well, because when we made it, it's what happened. Yeah,
1: yeah. And, and I appreciate that. I appreciate you saying that. It means a lot to me um yeah there there's um in fact there's one thing i I, i'm going back that Cade said he mentioned backstory restrictions um that you know there's things that your backstory cannot do and he made the comment of this is a result of of a player character or or several player characters and that's 100 correct (laughs) that that i had so many of my players like show up the session and you know especially when you're not as experienced and even though I've been playing for years they'd be like oh I have this thing and I'd be like okay fine but then it would break the game later on because they're like oh yeah I pull this out and I'm like where did you get that? You like you told me I could have it and so it was absolutely a, a response and this a necessity um from from players just trying to wreck my game like all the time. So yes. Yeah absolutely
0: it it's it's one of those balancing issues that like mm-hmm. people when they're when they're starting to play a game they don't always realize that the decisions that they're making actually have an impact on the flow of the game and the way that that world works in general and, and you know like i've had players be like oh, well, here's my backstory. And this really important figure is a mentor to me. And uh, therefore I have access to all these things. And I was just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, no, that's not how that works. Because if that's really the case, why are you even in the situation? You know, you're you're a far more important person than you would be here. Um, yeah, it's, it's a very yes. careful line. And so, um, I, you know, I agree with Kate. I, I appreciate that that's put in. And I, to me, it's like, it's something that should be, like people should understand that but they for some reason there's always that one person who doesn't
1: yep and then and then there's always the people that do understand that but they're gonna try anyway <laughs> yeah
0: yeah they're just waiting for you to say yes
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. yeah absolutely. absolutely
0: um all right well so um, you know, let's, let's kind of go into the direction. Um, I, I have a couple last questions for you here. Sure. Um, before we move on, though, is there anything else that you want to really throw out there uh, as um, a, a big thing that we haven't really talked about yet that, you know, you're like, you forgot about this, you did that. I know I kind of already asked that already. But before I move us completely in a different direction here, I think it's worth just throwing out what you think is a big thing for people to know about 6083.
1: So um, there's two parts to that. And before we move on, I, I want to address a couple more things that I oh, heard during the, the podcast, because I, I do want to know that those guys, you know, your whole team, like I heard everything that they had to say. And like some of it, you know, I was laughing along with like, uh, for, so for Jaden. All right. So. sixty eighty three, like it's humanoid, right? And he said he'd die on that hill. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm I'm with him, right? But the problem is, is that from a game uh, balancing and complexity standpoint, when you're introducing new players and and new GMs to the system, it's hard to incorporate non-standard character races into the mix because, like, once you give somebody like four arms, that gives them such an advantage in different ways, and um, so there are character races um that are that exist and that will be coming in an expansion um for those that want them they definitely exist in the world let Jaden know that it's just that for the core set um to keep it from being absolute insanity um it's humanoids and it is explained in the lore in that like there's a a, a, a base set of equi- of equipment that everybody's expected to use and it just so happens that that's you know the most common form is humanoid and so that's what the teams are comprised of but there are so many other races in the galaxy so um so he does not have to die on that hill he is not <laughs> alone um it will be coming in the future it's just not in right now by necessity so yeah, that's I'm, I'm sure there will
0: be quite a few people uh, who are excited to hear that we've we've heard some feedback on our argument over humanoid figures and and whether it's uh, a gameplay advantage or disadvantage to have more features.
1: Potions and Potpourri, a Dungeons and Dragons variety show podcast, where two gal pals, Keisha and Kayla, talk about a variety of topics, including discussions.
0: Wizards of the Coast has tried recently to change the mechanics, but I think the biggest thing they did was release Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. Right. That like really changed the way that people can make their characters.
1: Life plays.
0: We caught well, the tracker trying to kill Claude. He already killed some kids. of the household guards. God, God. Uh, we did everything we could to Whoa, try no, and wait. save him, but uh, the tracker, unfortunately, got got to him before we could,
1: but we took care of the tracker, so... Me. Oh, he's gone. He's gone by Joseph. <laughs> Over. Interviews. Yeah, I'm not gonna... Afford- mm. If you're not having fun with your character after 5, I'm not gonna make you play your character. Yeah. You have to figure out why is your current character leaving, and why is this new character joining? Potions and potpourri. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. Um, it's it, it's it's totally an advantage, and I can tell you from having because the the version of the game that you see now has a bunch of different character you know races, um, but the what came over from the three book set um, was not all the races and. Uh, I included the ones that I thought made the most sense for a not necessarily a stripped down version, but just for a better core experience. And Because some of those other character races are, they're not game breaking, but unless you're an experienced GM, they can throw your game off. And the, one of the problems with a couple of those races is are that um, the inclusion of them, like a lot of characters will want to play them because they have so many advantages and it becomes a meta instead of um, instead of playing what they want to they're like well I'm going to play this guy because you know he can do this and this and this and the other characters absolutely can't so going um, back to that idea of balance it's all about balance it really is so but yeah but the galaxy is diverse and there is some stuff coming it's just like I said it's not here yet Um. One other thing, uh for the character creation, um, one of you asked about um, the you like the the list of languages um, that was during character creation, and you wondered why it was in the back and not uh, uh, uh up further. And the answer to that is that, well, your selection of character classification affects that list, and so it's presented later on as a when when that when they can pick. And then they'll already have some languages. So, so the,
0: the list isn't complete when you f- do that first step. So then when you add in other stuff later, then it's complete and you get to access exactly. the actual. That makes sense. Yeah. Yep. Uh, you know, we, we recently played uh, Marvel superheroes. Um, We recorded it to come out here uh, after this will probably release. And uh, that was uh, that oh, was actually cool. a complaint in that too. Is uh, There was a lot of those lists that were like, and you get this. And then it was way later. Um, I feel like it's it's a little nitpicky, but uh, you know, uh we like a, a smooth UI, right? Like uh, having yep. a, a nice clean interface. It's it's more than just an aesthetics thing. It really is a, a user friendliness. And um we we played other systems, and I try not to do too many namings uh because I don't want people to be upset with me. Um, but uh we played other systems where we were flipping back and forth 80 times to do one thing and it kind of just it really does kind of wreck that first user experience because you're going why is this so complicated so it is good to know that there's a rhyme and reason behind that
1: yeah i think that like once you've made a character and like with any system right like once you've played it a little bit then it's like a lot of the pieces kind of fall into place you know but Initially, a lot of it it can just be, you know, uh, very confusing. And um, what you said there is absolutely crucial because the UI presentation, it's essential, you know, for a good game. And you can't have your players like flipping around all the time because it kills the game. And, um, And that's one thing. That's why we don't have hard copy books yet is because I'm still going through, even though it's been released as a PDF, Like, they're still getting updates. They're still getting updates. And when I'm finally satisfied, because I've got different people looking at it, um, you know, just for like, hey, read this. See if it makes sense to you. You know, people who haven't played the game. Um, And, you know, their feedback definitely matters. And so, eventually, when I get to the point where I feel like that it is clear as possible, as clear as it possibly can be, then we'll release those those books as well. And of course, the PDFs will be up, uh, they'll be updated, you know, continually to match that. Um, oh, um, I thought we had one more. Oh, um, Jaden, I think he mentioned something about the the hit locations. Yes. Um, he said that uh, it was nice to have, but it might, you know, but it might not be necessary. And the uh, the reason why the the hit locations are so specific it is it's a core component of the game and I don't want to get too much into it but it's designed so that when you roll to attack um the number that you have um it also it not only determines whether you hit or miss but it also determines those hit locations and damage severity at the same time and the whole combat system is built around that so the armor that you're wearing on specific body parts really matters because, you know, if you get hit in the head and you're not wearing your helmet or if you're wearing, you know, um, a subpar helmet that's not matching the rest of your armor, um, that could kill you, you know. Well, so, and am I reading the
0: diagram here, right? So when I look at it, the bottom of like the feet are are, are dash one and I assume one is, is left leg, two is right leg and then it goes one, mm-hmm. two, three, four ascending up the body and then when you get to the head it's into the sixes so uh, does that correlate with like how much damage they're taking determines the zone because it would be a more serious hit
1: no so how it works very quickly is that you've got 3d 6 right so the when you roll 3d6 um the you need to either roll them sequentially or you need to have color-coded dice and i am actually I've got dice coming from Aldani Dice, which is a dice manufacturer for specifically for 6083. So those will be available some point in this year. But um so when you we'll just say sequentially though. So the first dice that it, let's say that you need a, a 15 to hit. Okay, and you get that, you get rule of 17, which is amazing for 3d6. Um, so that first dice is going to be the general body location. The second dice in that sequence is going to be the more specific body location, and the third dice in that sequence is going to be the severity of the hit, if it's a hit. So that that satisfies all that criteria when you're attacking. So you know if you hit, and if you hit, um, you know specifically where you hit, and then of course you know it's whatever protection that your enemy is wearing at that location that determines whether they take damage or not. So and then damage is all equipment driven so like it's not like in some other systems where it's like well i've got a long sword and so that does you know 1d6 um you specific weapons do specific kinds of damage um, and it's simple it's simple enough um but it's but if you if you know that if you have your weapon um you know you know what kind of damage it's doing but it's specific to that weapon type so
0: and going back to Marvel superheroes that's exactly how that plays too. Every weapon Good. has damage type. If you hit it yep. does that damage every time. And so yep. in in an ideal world if you roll 18 triple sixes you're hitting that's the top of the head with yep. like right Good. on the dome yeah and and the six is doing critical hit.
1: Yep. And then if you get that critical hit then that triggers a roll on the critical hit table which even if your weapon is subpar and has no cho- has no chance of, of penetrating in armor, if you manage to roll a crit, then you'll have at least some of that damage go through and you'll be able to roll on the critical damage table, which does... Um, well, it's a 1d10, so you, you have 10 different outcomes uh, that could happen if you do roll a critical hit. So,
0: I, I gotta say, that is a very unique dice system that I have seen now, to be fair, we've barely put a dent in the thousands of games that have existed in the past 40 to 50 years. But uh, I don't know if I've touched one that has that type of dice system with the three sequential.
1: So that was one of the things that my players were almost paranoid about. They have been paranoid about all this time. They keep telling, they kept telling me they like Jason, please publish this because eventually somebody is going to steal this or it's going to come out and then it won't be yours. And I was like, you know, and finally we did in practice it's awesome. Um, But it is not like anything else that I know of. Um, And I think moving to your, the one thing that I would like people to know about this game is that it is different. It's not, your standard rpg and in that yeah it plays like a standard rpg um it has rules but um but if you're used to power by the apocalypse or if you're used to 5e or shadow run or you know edge of the empire any of that none of that will help you here <laughs> it's so different and it it's actually it's it's a little scary for me as a designer because i know the system works and i know that my players love it but it is a foreign entity in the tabletop community and um because of that you know it might turn a lot of people off because you know they're not used to um using a system like that so i think if i could have you know if if i could let anybody know anything about the game is that you know, it's not rules light. It's not super crunchy either. Crunchy, crunchy not country. Um, it's not super crunchy either, um, because I too really hate math. So you you might have some light addition and subtraction, um, maybe a little bit of multiplication, um, and or some easy division. But everything is really geared to to not tax. Uh, your mathematical ability because I I really don't like math myself. Like I, um, I I never have, but, uh, but I would say if you want to give the game a try that just understand that it is definitely different than, than other things that are out there. And it's, you're going to have to embrace that, I guess, if you, if you want to get the full potential of the game.
0: And, and, you know, I think uh, either I said it or you said it uh, throughout our interactions in the last uh, last couple of months here, but um, it, to me, it feels like it's OSR roots, but it's not an OSR mm-hmm. game. Like it's not what we would to- uh, uh, coin as an old school renaissance. Mm-hmm. It honestly does feel like it, it, like I said, it's rooted there, but it's evolved past that. Um, what would you say to somebody who, who, would say well no this is osr like why is it not
1: um it, it's not osr uh i think that a lot of those pro- products are kind of based around the idea of like D or you know redbox D. um and it it's definitely not that uh at all it it has a different feel to it there's definitely rules there Um the game how is it not OSR well the core mechanics of the game are fairly straightforward there are a lot of rules in the gm's manual but they're there for the circumstance and if the gm wants to and can use them but they're not mandated but they're there for for you know somebody who wants their tools for the gm if they want to use them but the, the base of the experience is not, it's not a dungeon crawl. It's definitely, it, it's not a tactical RPG either. It's more of a storytelling RPG with a cinematic bent, but with some strategy in it. But it's not a game that you necessarily use miniatures with either. So it, it's not, it definitely came up in that time, you know, and in, in, you know, alongside of like d and d and things like that, but it it's nothing like it um it, the whole structure of it is completely different so yeah I, I, I think I don't know how I'd answer that correctly No, I, I think you've done a
0: really good job of it is it, it, what i what I'm getting out of this is the fact that like you're right, it was created in that era, so there are things that seem like it because that's kind of the way things were done but it's it's more of a narrative focus you know like you said that there are rules for things but that's not the core experience whereas i think if you go back to osr and what games like it nowadays are trying to do story very much takes a second seat to the action the gameplay the traps and that's not to say that yours doesn't have it because it very much has all the mechanics for that but they do those at the the neglect of a deep rich story you know it can be there if somebody puts it in but that's not the main drive of it whereas to me this has rules that are familiar to that era but with a focus on your narrative is really what's driving this this gameplay session
1: so i think one thing that might clear it up a little bit is that during that time like at least the the games that i saw played during that period. And what I know about far, and you know, somebody would probably be upset at me that, you know, I think a lot of that is like, hey, you know, we're going to have a game mat out, and um, there's a lot of game speak that goes into it. Like, uh, if I want to shoot a fireball, then it has this cone that does this many hexes, and um, and I have to have line of sight on my target, and so on and so forth. Um, that always bothered me when, it, even when I was beginning to learn about D D. I was like oh man that's that's like a war game and essentially OSR or at least basic D&D was born out of a war game yep. you know um but what 6083 strives to do one, one thing that I never want to do to my players because I, I hated it when it was done to me is I hated to having to learn the lingo of the game like okay well you know I am in melee range or I you know I can't Go to melee range until i'm you know in the next hex or um you can't fire your your ranged weapon because you're you know you need to be eight hexes away or whatever it was um so what i strove to do was to take the game speak out and and like all the terms in the game are broken down to real world measurements so if i have a player that's like well i want to fire my pistol. I want to come out from around the corner and I want to fire my pistol at this enemy, you know, then that's what they're doing. That's what they tell me that they're doing. And it's not a, oh, you can't do that because, you know, you're you're not in that space yet. You know, um, so everything is broken down into common measurements that everybody understands. So if it's if I say, hey, it takes you five seconds to reload your rifle, um, then they know like, okay, well, five seconds is going to pass during that time. And these are the things that can take place in five seconds. But it's not ever broken down into like, well, you can do this or this or this in this round. And these take, you know, this amount of time because it's a round. It's just common sense between um, the player and the GM. And there are times that are specified, you know, like this is how long it takes to do this or that but it's all broken down into normal measurements of time. So players don't have to figure out how to put that into game speak when they're trying to do something. They're just like, I want to run across this room, you know, well, that's going to take you 10 seconds to run across this room. Do you want to do that? Well, everybody's firing at you. No, I do not. I want to stay in cover. Good choice. You know? (laughs) Um, So it's a lot less technical than it seems on the surface. Um, It's super easy for players gm has a lot more on the plate but um but it is a different way to approach things than than osr does osr i think is a lot more mechanical in a way and i'd like to think that um 6083 is a little bit more fluid and it's a lot more cinematic so
0: no that's, i think that's the perfect answer that's that is exactly what i think um, people who are shying away from OSR, because let's be real. There are people, and there are people on this show that uh, shy away from OSR. And so to hear you say, well, this is why you can't call it OSR. I think it's a valuable insight into that because as much as it's kind of having, you know that revival, um, there are still people who are going, yeah, but there's a reason we've evolved in our in our gameplay since then.
1: I think that, you know, because a lot of my gang groups that I played with over the years, you know, I got older, you know, but like I played with all kinds of people of different ages. And so, you know, initially, you know, it definitely probably started out in that area, sixty, eighty-three, you know, but as time went by, you know, people are more interested in having a cinematic, you know, story experience. Um, and so that's what uh, developed. I think that when the OSR community. I think what people, a lot of people have uh, fond memories about is that I think a lot of games, this is just my observation and not, it's not the truth. It's just my opinion.
0: Oh, it's okay. Everybody uh, from TCC is going to comment and be like, he's wrong. Don't worry.
1: Yeah. All right. So I'm wrong, guys, but I'm going to say it anyway. All right. <laughs> uh, so I think that a lot of people who look fondly back at that time, like remember that the game the games were a lot more lethal and that... There was a lot more like certainty about what you could do. And um as opposed to rules light, um where interpret is open for interpretation, I think that a lot of people who really kind of like that era, they like the idea of being able to point to a rule in a manual and say, well, this is why you can't do that, or this is why you can. And in, in my opinion, ooh, this is where I'm going to get flamed. But it's, a, it's kind of grumpy old man syndrome, right? Like, in my day, we played RPGs, <laughs> and we died all the time, and we loved it. Ah, we get a TPK every week. It was great, you know? <laughs> but um, so, so, yeah. I mean, in, in 6,083, it can be lethal. You know, it did come out of that time. Like, there is a, a period when your characters are, like, brand new. And the game is like a little bit more forgiving, but as soon as people start shopping for like, whoa, I, I really like this rocket launcher. Well, the enemies that you're facing, they're getting that gear too. And then the game, just it becomes a lot more lethal and you really have to think about what you're doing. So it kind of scratches that itch for people who want that kind of thoughtful gameplay um, where there's consequences. And I think that's the difference, I think, between like a lot of OSR and modern games. Um, is that there's a OSR has this kind of reputation for having consequences to your action, you know? And I think that modern games are considered to be like more forgiving, but, you know, I also think that a lot of that's on the GMs uh, or the DMS too, you know? And so I think, (laughs) you know, it gets into a lot of different things, you know, (laughs) tribalism, you know, you know, how tribal that the games communities can be, you know? So like, Yeah, I like playing all kinds of games, but, you know, but the game that I wrote is is written this way because that's what I like. And that's what my players like. So, yeah, yeah, no,
0: that's that's exactly it. And of course, I only kid with the DCC community. Uh, I'm actually a pretty big fan of that game. So anytime I take a jab at it, it's because I know it riles them up uh, in good. It's a cool
1: game. I've never played it, but it looks very cool.
0: Yeah, it's it's got some good stuff in it. very much hardcore OSR, like uh characters are dying every game. Yep. Right. Yeah. Uh, so so what happens from here, Jason? Where where are you going with this? Like I know you've said you've uh you've kind of made uh corrections and changes and formatting things uh since you've released it online originally. Um what's when when are we getting hardcovers? When are you Doing everything that you want to do with it.
1: Okay, so one of the one of the biggest bottlenecks in any any of these things is art, and I am the artist for the game, and um, I've been able to recycle a lot of my old character art from the eighties and nineties and two thousands. Um, and and you made a note about that actually. You said that there is you know a difference in the art, and that's absolutely true because. Some of that older art, um, you know, it might be character portraits or, you know, uh, team portraits or groups of characters or whatever. Um, you know, I was not as good of an artist back then. And there's only so much that I can do to those pieces to pretty them up in Photoshop. And there's also lines that I won't cross because, you know, if I take it too far, then then it's not the same thing anymore. So um, but I've kept them in there for, for my players, because those are things that they know and that they can look and they say, Oh yeah, that that's my guy, you know? Um, but, um, but art takes time and there is a lot of illustration left to do. So, um, so the art is probably the biggest slowdown. And as far as anything else goes, um, I am hoping to be able to get these out before the end of the year. Uh, the sooner, the better. Um, and of course we just started this year, so that gives me a lot of leeway, but I'm already feeling the pressure on it because at the end of the day, it's just me. You know, I have a few editors who are like, who hit me back from time to time and say, Hey, I found mistakes here, here, and here, and here. And that's great. But a lot of it is me going through the books and, you know, rereading stuff and, and seeing what makes sense and making sure that everything is correct as it can be. And, but I would say that as soon as I get the illustrations done, that at that time, that the art, well, not the art, but the, the text will probably be um, as polished as it can be. So I would expect a release uh, before the end of the year. That's my goal. Um, but during that time, you can also expect uh, updates to the website. So we're going to have uh, more uh, there'll be starter characters you can actually just print off if you don't want to spend time making a character so that'll be up there the uh the next mission the signal that should be up before the end of the month um and then my goal is to have is to have as many missions out as i can in that time too but they all have to have art too so you know that's always going to be the bottleneck. Um, but the, the shorter shorter answer is is that, as, as soon as I can get the art done, um, then the texts should be updated at that time. So I would say, you know, it's not going to be right now, but that's also why they're free online right now, both on the site and on DriveThruRPG, RPG, because I do know that there's mistakes and corrections and things that need to to be fixed. I found a glaring. Um, mistake the other day where i copied and pasted some weapon stats and there was like six weapons that all had the same stat and i was mortified <laughs> you know um you know but these are the things that you have to go through and take time and make sure they're right before you know people are paying their money for because um one of the things that bothers me about the rpg scene um is always kind of irked me is that you buy a game and you love it, but then you know three years later, there's a new edition of, of it and it and it um supersedes everything you've done, so now you've got to like reread the rules and redo things and uh, that's something that I will never do for my players. I want to make sure that the system that gets published when when the hard book copies come out is gonna be the system that they can play um they don't have to worry about me changing things that or pulling the rug out from under them and requiring new rule books. So there'll be expansions for sure, but you'll always be able to get the core game for free. With, with the uh, three books, the two adventures, those will always be for free. And, um, and yeah, they'll, they'll be, uh, that's the goal is to have by the end of the year to have a, a nice solid and as possible error free as possible set online and that the books mirror that with extra content and um let all the art be done and moving forward um to just to continue to support the game because i do have players in fact tonight um after i, I uh, get, get done here um i actually have an online game session later on tonight so uh and which we're running over some stuff because the mission scenarios at launch, you know, I mean, I want to make sure that they're all tested properly before that they go live. So, you know, I have to make sure that everything works and it's balanced properly. So that's, um,
0: that sounds awesome. And, and, and hopefully uh, we can see the hardcovers there. Uh, I know there's a bit of a global shortage on paper and things like yeah. that right now. And well, yeah. everything, I mean, chips are even on shortage apparently. Um, but, uh, you know, so hopefully we can see that. And uh, are you thinking about doing a box set for the three books?
1: Um, not at the time there will be dice. I've already mentioned that. I would love to do a box set someday, but, um, you know, with the GM screen and, and all that stuff, that would be wonderful. And maybe that's a reality, you know, when I, um, you know, three years ago, I told you, no way but you <laughs> know, I'm open to anything now. And, like, we, I stay away from Kickstarter because I am doing this on my own, and I feel like it's a little disingenuous for me to, like, say, hey, you know, give me money so I can get art, you know, and layout. But I'm the guy doing the art and layout, and I, even if I did a Kickstarter right now, I, I don't think the community is in a place where it, it would potentially be funded, you know, not the way that I would want it to be. So we're going to build the community first, um, and that's why the game is out there build the community first and then when the books launch they'll launch um they'll be on drive three rpg as uh either printable or there'll be you know a, a hard copy that you can order and then probably in another format as well i uh, want to make sure to get you know really good um quality uh hard copies but if the community does grow enough and i hope it does um then when we do the expansion. That may be a Kickstarter down the road. And then we might look at doing something like a box set if there's enough demand for it. Right now, there's just not. And that's, you know. And that's that's
0: kind of just the way things go. Sometimes you're not, you're definitely not the first. Um, either RPG or even video game to release in a similar format, right? Where you got kind of go free mm-hmm. to play to start. And then after a while, once things start picking up steam, you, you release a new iteration um, that adds to what's existing. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. So I guess I got, I got two last questions for you that way you can go on and, and do that play test, which uh I, I hope to hear more uh, of the results of that, but number one, how do you like your coffee?
1: Oh, uh you know, I uh, I like my coffee very manly. So, um, <laughs> of course, so usually vanilla flavoring and um, some whipped cream. That's good. Nothing so, wrong with that. But, um, yeah, and here uh, where I'm at, we're up at uh, 7,400 feet. So, uh, if my drink isn't closed, because like this is a wine glass, but it has coffee in it um, or a wine cup, but they have to be insulated because your coffee gets cold and like. You know, just a few minutes, like five minutes, and it's cold. So, wow. um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, keep it hot. Love me, love me some coffee. But you know,
0: we uh, we like to say on the show how you like to drink it is exactly how it should be drank. Uh, yeah. Last question for you there, Jason, and this is a big one. So if you have to take a second to think about it, please do. But when we end our reviews, we always say who should buy this system, and we give our opinion on. It. So, Jason, in your opinion, as the creator of this game. Who is this system? Who is 6083 designed for?
1: So if you like movies like Aliens, um, you like uh, uh, having a diverse uh, amount of gear and equipment to buy, if you're one of those people that like shopping, if you want a cinematic game experience with a really fast combat uh, system, this is probably for you with a caveat. Um, as a player, you can jump right in. You don't ever have to have played an RPG before. It's super easy to pick up. As a GM, um, probably would be better if you're a little bit experienced because there are some things that are, you, even though that's different from other RPGs, there are some concepts there that really benefit from having, you know, run some sessions before. Um, so I would say if you like sci-fi, especially military sci-fi, um, you, if you like an expansive kind of sandboxy world and, um, lots and lots of options for your, for your characters, if you like skill-based systems, um, give it a look, you know, and give it a chance. Um, I just understand it is different from from other games. Um I think it's in the best way possible, but I've been playing this game for a long time and my players have to. So they would be terrible to ask as well, you know. But um yeah, I think that if, if you like sci-fi, if you like kind of like maybe a little bit of hard sci-fi, um but you like it to run faster, then the game's for you.
0: Excellent answer. All right, well, this has been our exclusive interview for 6083 with Jason Oberman, the creator. And uh, with that, I'm out of coffee. And that means it's time to go.